Welcome to Carson Chatter, a podcast focused on Carson City, the people who shape it, and the real estate that defines it. I'm Sina Lloyd, Carson City Library Director, and I'm here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Garrett LaPierre, local realtor with Century 21 Jim Wilson Realty. In addition to another great guest interview this week, we have our weekly segments, Community Connections, and LaPierre's Corner. Stay with us and we'll be right back. Welcome back. We're going to hop into this week's segments with Community Connections. Sina, what is one of the best sources that you use to find out what's happening in our community? Well, that's a great question, Garrett. We have so many different um, options available to us online. Um, We have calendars galore in this community. However, the Carson City Visitors Bureau puts out a visitor's guide, and this comes out every six months or so. And it contains information of essentially the upcoming activities in our area. It gives a calendar of in a year what our yearly events are so that we have an idea of what month they're in if we've forgotten. I mean, that can definitely happen. And it's not just for visitors. It's for community members as well. Um, this this year, it has information about the blue tra- the. Blue Line Trail? Yes, the Blue Line Trail. That's what I was looking for there. Um, And it's just a great resource for individuals to use uh, when they're looking to do something in their community. Wonderful. So I do have a question for you too as well, Garrett. Um, You know, with all this rain and precipitation that Carson City just normally does not get, um, do I have to have flood insurance for my home? Very relevant question. Oh, yeah, we're seeing moisture levels, rain and snow that historically I don't know if we've ever seen, but if we have, it's been a long, long time. Um, so when you purchase a home and money to buy it, you have to have flood insurance if you're in a flood zone. If you pay cash for a property, it's completely up to you, even if you're in the flood zone, of whether you want to have flood insurance or not. Um, now, let me use this, use this time to give you a little caveat, especially with all the weather we've had. Um, there's been times where people have asked, you know, should I have flood insurance, should I not? And my, my rule of thumb is always be safe rather than sorry. And um, even areas that we didn't know flooded, um, areas that normally don't hold water that, that, that much or that well, um, are holding water. And, and we're, seeing, we're seeing parts of town, goalies, ditches, irrigation canals that are filling up that we've never really seen fill up. So while you don't necessarily have to have flood insurance unless you're in a flood zone, I recommend that you do that um, even if you're not in a flood zone. If you're not in a flood zone, uh, flood insurance should be very inexpensive, you know, somewhere around 300 bucks a year, maybe somewhere between three to $500 a year if you're not in a flood zone, Um, and maybe even cheaper than that. And then if you do have to have flood insurance, it's going to depend on what flood zone that you're in. Um, um, If you're in a real bad one, which is the 100-year flood zone, zone A they call it, um, you you may be somewhere around $2,000 a year. It just depends on what zone you're in and where you're located within that zone. But the rule of thumb always is make sure that you have enough insurance to cover your stuff, um, including flood insurance. Uh, We're going to be right back with this week's guest who is Andy Wilson from NIA Alliance. She is um, a co-owner over there, and we have a great discussion.
right, welcome back. We're with this week's guest, Andy Wilson, who is co-owner of the NAI Alliance commercial real estate firm here in Carson City. Did I get all that out right? You did. Thank you. Nice to be here. You betcha. Thanks for coming on. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into real estate. Um, well, I got into real estate, uh, my daughter's 21, so 21 years ago I was actually teaching kindergarten, and I had my daughter, and I was spending all of my time with kids at work and at home, and I decided that some of the kids were going to have to go, and since um, I wasn't getting rid of my daughter, that meant I needed a new career. So my father is a commercial property manager in uh, Fresno. And my mom has sold real estate residentially over the years, so it was kind of a natural curiosity for me. And I thought, okay, now's the time. I'll get right into it. And um, I opened up the phone book and landed on Terry Yeager. At that time, it was Prudential Carson Properties. And I called her and said, I want to learn. Um, if you'll hire me, I'll work as your assistant. And she said, great. And literally, I was hired within like a day. Awesome. So it was just a perfect, it, the timing was perfect, um, and it was a good uh, career move for me. Yep. Yeah, Terry's been around for a long time. Mm -hmm. I, I, I didn't know that, actually. Mm -hmm. I, I started my career at Prudential Carson Properties did back you? in the day. I did. Really? Yeah, working with Terry and Lena Zink, and, mm -hmm. and, and uh, gosh, uh, Denise Massey was over there, and, yep. and Myrna, I think, was her name. I can't yep. remember her last name. Good group, Pam McCluskey. Yeah. Um, it was a really good group for me to... Um, start with and from there I ended up up at the lake at McCall Realty working for Thane McCall um, and that also was a great um, move for me but I really wanted to do commercial that's what I really liked I liked the numbers and I have always in commercial there's actually there's four sectors so there's um, resident I'm sorry um, the office sector there's retail there's multifamily and industrial and I've always been drawn to industrial because there's, it is not emotional at all. It is all numbers. Um, I need 10,000 square feet. I need 14 foot clear height. I need a 10 foot roll up door. I need 400 amps of power. It's all numbers. It's like one math equation. Okay. So you can actually find space and, and say to your client, here's the exact space. It meets all of your parameters. And they actually don't even have to look at it, although they obviously usually do. Right. Um, but I've always been very drawn to industrial, um, also because of the jobs. It's You can immediately see the job creation. And that's always been very powerful to me, that um, if somebody shows up in Carson City and they want to rent 30,000 square feet and open an auto parts distributor, bam, that's 10 jobs. And it's... I mean, they might be um, entry level, some of them, but still, I've, I've always been aware of how um, a job changes a family and it changes a future. And so to me, that's always been very interesting. So when I was at McCall, um, I decided I really want to get into commercial. And so I helped Thane open the commercial division for McCall Realty. Okay. And then um, several of us broke off to open up Cobble Banker Commercial. Yep. Then we were open for 10 years, and then we kind of naturally morphed into <clears throat> NAI Alliance, where we can be generalists as opposed to specialists. In Reno, um, you typically would specialize in one of those sectors, but the market's too small here. We'd starve to death if we did that. So. Correct. 
Correct. And, and that's kind of what I want to talk to you about as well is your transition from the residential side to the commercial side and um, the difference between residential real estate and commercial real estate. And you hit on one of the main points is the, the emotions that are involved on the residential side that aren't there for the most part on the commercial side. Talk right. to us a little bit about that. Right. And that's a for me, that's a big one. Um, I'm a very logical uh, lineal thinker mm-hmm. and um, it's very difficult for me to get sucked into the emotions of a major financial decision so when I started I was doing some residential and I would have conversations about I mean it would be Saturday night and I'd get a call from someone saying I don't know I've changed my mind about the house because I don't like the green carpet and to me it was like that's crazy I mean didn't you decide to buy the house because it was a good deal? You can change the carpet. The carpet's no big deal. But that's the nature of residential is it's emotional. You're going to live there, and you're going to build a life there, and I get that. And so it was pretty quick that I figured out that was not a good fit for me. Um, I just didn't have the patience for those types of decisions, which is kind of ironic because typically a residential deal will take, what, 30, 60, 90 days to close? 30, 45, right in that, right in that sweet range. And um, that's very unusual for commercial. My deals um, typically at the, at the least might take three months to close. I've had escrows go for five years and then fall apart. Right. And so the reality is you actually have to have a lot of patience to do commercial but you are plotting through decisions that are made in a very business-like manner for the most part. And sometimes you deal with people who are emotional and they blow their stack. Um, I'm getting pretty good at weeding them out because I just, to me, these are business decisions, these are financial decisions, so let's all keep our cool and get through it. Exactly. And that's, um, you know, that's the nice part about our business is we can kind of pick and choose who we like to work with mm-hmm. and find people that, that we work best with um, and, and try to help them and try to find them. You know, find your own tribe is what I tell all the, mm-hmm. all the young new agents. Um, but, you, but there's, in, in, in real estate, there, there's this idea that once you get a real estate license that, you know, you can go and sell it all. Um, and while that may be true legally, you know, legally wise, right. I can go sell whatever I want. Um, but you know, having having a specialization or a little niche into whatever that is, why is that important? Why is why do you want that? Well, I can tell you even now. Um, I I live in a house and I own homes. And if I was going to move today, I wouldn't list my own home. Um, I don't know enough about what forms are required in the market. I, I don't, I'm not on the pulse of the residential market, so I would be doing myself a disservice if I didn't list my home with a residential specialist who could guide me through the process. Um, likewise, I see all the time where uh, somebody may list their own property, let's say it's a retail property, and frankly, they think they're saving money by not hiring me or another commercial practitioner. They're saving money on the commission, And I'll end up looking at those deals and going, okay, well, you rented your space for 30% under market. You have a lease that um, has a bunch of holes in it. And um, frankly, it's a a lawsuit waiting to happen. And maybe as a commercial property owner, you didn't realize that the tenant should be reimbursing you for things like taxes, insurance, maintenance. So they're stepping over dollars to pick up dimes by saying, well, I don't want to pay a commission so I'll just represent myself even though I actually don't know anything about leasing 
you know, a retail space. Right. So um, those are the types, that's just one example of many. But anytime I think you're dealing with any property type, it is it becomes clear very quickly, wow, I should not be, this is not my area of expertise. Correct. You either know it or you don't. Like I have, um, I do a lot of office leasing in Carson City. Um, we've done office leasing in Reno, Sparks, Dayton, Gardnerville. I have a very unique property right now up in Reno. Um, and I'm getting calls on it. It's a it's a really quirky size and shape though. Okay. And I'm actually meeting next week with um, an office broker. That's all she does in Reno. She leases office space and I'm going to hand the listing over to her because I'm doing the client a disservice by saying um, I can lease this. She's dealing with probably 10 prospects a day for that property type. Right. And I'm dealing with five a week. So why wouldn't I hand it over take the referral fee, do what's best for the client. It comes back to us tenfold when we do that. Correct. Well, and and I'll tell you what, there's not very many agents, not very many business people who would take that tact with it. You know, they want they want the paycheck, they want the commission. Uh, but you're exactly right. That client who got better service, who had someone look them in the eye and go, you know what, someone else could serve you better. You, you've created a, a long-lasting relationship and trust with that person that you wouldn't have built. We always say um, we're in this for our career. This is, this is it. We're here. We're here to stay. Uh, we are not a one-trick pony. And when you're in the deal for the commission, because you're focused on the commission and not the relationship, you're a one-trick pony, and it doesn't pay off. Those are those are agents that ultimately don't make it in the business. Correct. Yeah, I know. I know. For me, I've I've done a, a couple commercial deals here and there, a couple multifamily deals, uh, but you know, residential is my niche and, and and what I like to focus on. The biggest learning curve for me with the commercial was in the office, the retail, and the industrial. The zoning stuff and the government mm-hmm. regulations of, of okay, I want to put um, you know a, a a clothing store in this space. Is it zoned for it? Am I going to get the kind of traffic that I want? But from a city perspective, is it licensed for that? Is it zoned for that? Uh, restaurants are there? Is there a grease trap? Is 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 there not a grease trap? Uh, you know, all those things is is such a big learning curve that just to for me to raise my hand and go, I'm going to go sell these kind of properties. I'd be in over my head. I'd it, open myself up to lawsuits. Totally. It's such a quagmire. And a big one is change of use. Yes. Anytime there's a change of use, which is not always clear. So you could take, um, for example, I have a, a building that was formerly um, like an insurance office. And I had somebody looking at it for a beauty salon. And that is considered a change of use, even though they're both allowed within retail zoning. Right. Um, but I had a very specific type of cosmetology use. It was like uh, eyelash extensions, and that was not going to be considered a change of use. So I have to reach out to the city on almost all of these deals, and they're great. I mean, our oh my gosh, like within a day, I get a response where my counterparts in Reno, they're lucky to get a response within a week. Mm-hmm. So Carson City's been fabulous, but anytime there's a change of use, that can be a trigger for ADA accessibility requirements, all kinds of stuff. So that's a that can be a big pitfall. Correct. I, I, shoot, I've heard stories of people moving their new business into a space and then having the city come along and go, wait a second, right? you can't have this here. You didn't contact us at all. And, and they had a real estate agent. Right. So, scary. Right. Scary. So, um, what is the thing that has you the most excited about the current market that we're in for the commercial side? Jobs. 
Um, I mean, I really, I was very aware 2008, 2009, 2010, as the real estate market fell apart, more importantly, people lost their jobs. Right. And it's just incredibly destructive to a family and a community when you have unemployment. I think our unemployment here, I want to say it was 13% in Carson City. Sounds about right. And so at this point, I mean, we have a labor shortage. So the pendulum has swung the other way. Um, there's a there's plenty of jobs. There's And there's a lot of skilled jobs, too. And there's a focus now um, in this region on uh, skilled labor because not college isn't right for every kid. And so there's a real push in our high school and um, college systems to teach kids the skills that they need so they can become welders they can become machinists. These are good paying jobs. Right. And a lot of kids are happier with those types of jobs. One of our sons, um, he went to machining school and um, he that's where he works now, is in a machine shop. He's very happy um, and it's a great career for him. Correct. And, and the welders, I mean, some of those guys make 60, 75 oh, yeah. bucks an hour. Oh, yeah. And some of them, you know, the underwater ones, they make even more than that. Now, right. Yeah, you know, vocational training is, is becoming a, a real hot topic, and, and the community college is going to play a big role in, in training those workers and getting them up to speed. Yeah, and they definitely, the community college has been great with, um, they work with NNDA, the Northern Nevada Development Authority. And so if we have, for example... Um, a manufacturer and they have like a specific type of uh, program they need their skilled employees to go through to learn how to use the machinery. The college will work with the employer to create the program. It might be three months long, it might be five months long, so they can move through, get a certification of some kind, and then be hired not only by that company, but by other companies that are using the same types of machines. So it's definitely like we got to get creative now, and we are because... The jobs are here, but the um, the labor we're having labor struggles. Gotcha. So while we're on that topic, what what do you see will be um, the Tesla effect for the Carson City area? If 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 there is one, what do you think that's going to be? We actually look pretty hard at that. We put out um, Brad and I put out my partner Brad Bonkowski and I put out a piece called the Tesla effect. Um, what is it? Is there one? And ultimately. Um, the answer is, in Carson City, it will be, like, so hard to see. And the reason is that overall, our economy is already doing well. Overall, we have uh, distribution. We have, like, mom-and-pop machine shops. We're doing great. We're very strong. Right. The distance from here out to the USA Parkway, it's 50 miles. And then from there um, north into Trick is going to be another, I think it's 15 or 20 miles. So it's a haul. Um, so I think you will see an effect in Dayton. There will be housing. I, we're already seeing uh, quite a bit of activity in terms of land sales out in Dayton, Stagecoach. Um, but in Carson City, I really it's going to be minimal, if if anything. Right. I, I tend to agree with you, and just, and just for the reason that you stated, is that we're a little too far away to, to gain some of that. Um, I think some of the manufacturers will end up being, you know, maybe auxiliary to what's going on in Trick, and, and so you get some of that effect to it, but, um, you know, that commute, you know, that's that's a pretty long commute to be Yeah, the, really the only um, visible impact that I've seen is when a manufacturer comes here, if for some reason they decide that Trick is the place to be, so mm -hmm. maybe they need... A huge amount of space, 500,000 square feet. So they got to look at trick. Or maybe they need rail. 
because we don't have rail down here. So they got to look at trick or somewhere that has rail. It might be power, it might be water, it might be that they need to build their facility very quickly, Correct. which they can do in Story County. If you have an executive who is moving here with their family, it's not uncommon to have them say, I will commute. I'll commute from Genoa. I'll commute from Carson or Garterville. So that's really the only impact that I've seen is, you know, the, the jobs going to trick translate into what maybe one house sold. Right. It's so minimal. And this is for a, you know, a large uh, facility where there's going to be tons of jobs. But most people who are working there are living in Sparks, Reno, or Fernley. Correct. And, and there's going to be a ton of construction going on in Dayton, Stagecoach. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know I know they have plans. I know Mr. Gilman sold a chunk of land to a big builder and to build on the Lyon County side of where USA Parkway is going in. Uh, and I've heard that they have plans for upward of 57,000 homes. Yeah. Uh, not 5,700, 57,000. Yeah, which means water's going to be mm-hmm. an even bigger issue. So we'll see. Um, I know Silver Springs is already over-allocated. That's been identified. Um, and there's a constant struggle. You can't move water rights from basin to basin. Correct. So you can't move it from Silver Springs to Dayton. So the water is a big concern. Um, and there's some bills in the legislature legislature this session Mm -hmm. we'll see what happens with that i don't know what the solution will be i mean we just don't have enough water right so it's an issue for sure um so the that 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 gives us a lot of a lot of things to think about as far as how we're going to grow out in that area um what do you think is the biggest challenge currently within the commercial commercial market here in carson uh, in Carson, so it's not water. In Carson, we are actually in really good shape. Well, I mean, today we're dealing with too much water. <laughs> but um, in Carson, we're in good shape. We have uh, capacity that can be added to our existing water treatment plant. So we could even take on a large water user. We couldn't take on too many. Um, but the way that the water rights are basically owned and controlled in Carson City by the municipality is very unique. Mm-hmm. It's actually brilliant. Um, I wish that all of the counties worked that way because it sure makes it easier. So um, it's not water. Um, gosh, I think that we are really in good shape in Carson City. I mean, from a local politics standpoint, I'm, I think our current board of supervisors, is um, they're progressive but smart and cautious. So I don't think that growth will happen um, too quickly. That's just my opinion, though. I I know we may be bumping up against um, the growth management ordinances. So I guess that's what it comes to is the reason I feel that way is because um, we don't have enough places for people to live. And um, we need to be able to accommodate People need to have a place to live. I mean, the rents are going up, I think it's 10% annually at this point. And that, I mean, that's crazy. So we need to add housing for sure, but yet there's a pushback from the local community. Um, You know, we don't want any more housing here. We have enough people here. So that's a a struggle that a lot of communities deal with. Um, From my perspective, I'm a big believer in people should have the right to work and put a roof over their head, and if we don't have enough housing, I I think we should be able to provide affordable housing in some way. 
So that's that's probably going to be our biggest challenge is just housing at this point. And that's not unique to Carson City. That's all right. of northern Nevada. Mm-hmm. Yep, you, you bet you it is. Yeah, I mean, we, we went from build, build, build to nothing going on. I mean, literally nothing going on to now. You know, I, mean, I, I probably talked about it too much on this podcast and then in the, the Pierce Corner segment of all the new construction that's going to take place over the next 12 to 24 months. There's a lot of new stuff coming on. Yep. Um, and, and having that in different price ranges, you know, that's important. Right. And so definitely there's challenges. There's um, growing pains. Yes. But... Um, if I could choose between that and 2008, 2009, where families were moving away, um, families were going broke, families were losing everything, I would definitely choose today. I mean, we can work through growing pains, but an economic recession, the likes of which we saw, I never want to go through that again. It was, I mean, we were fine, but it's pretty hard. I was, I was taking tough calls every day. I never want to go through that again. Agreed. Yeah, I was just having this conversation. Um, you know, doing short sales is it's much like doing commercial real estate, where you may get paid a, a year from now. You know, when you start a process, or you know, I, I like to I like to joke. You know, it's like going to the donut shop and saying I want a dozen donuts, but I'm going to pay you six months from now, maybe. Right. Oh yeah. Right. It's tough to run a run, run a business that way. Yeah. Oh, but but more than that, the conversations that were had at the kitchen table. You know, it was about jobs being lost it was mm-hmm. about divorces happening yeah it was just it was a tough tough time and i hope that we don't we don't get back to that place and there's a lot of good positive things going on now especially the employment mm-hmm. uh, financing wise and I'm, i know this is true on the commercial side of it is you don't go in there and get a loan without having to go through the ringer right it's still very there there is um capital available mm-hmm. but the underwriting standards are still pretty tough yep so uh, it's better for sure. I mean, five six years ago, I had some extremely wealthy clients. Nobody could get nobody could get a loan. Right. Um, so now it's definitely better, um, but there is a push to loosen up underwriting standards a little more. And the reason for that is because um, nationally, there the number it's like a trillion. There's a trillion dollars worth of loans coming due in the next three years, and that's because on commercial loans. You might have a five-year call or a 10-year call. You don't have a 30-year call, like on a residential mortgage, ever. I've never seen that. Right. Um, I've seen a 20-year call, but that's pretty rare. So if so, we have all these loans that are coming due because they were on five or 10-year, maybe 15, in the next three years. And if they can't refinance because the underwriting standards are too hard, we're going to go through another tough time again where... You can only have people lose so much money and have the economy withstand that. Right. So uh, there is a push on a national level to get um, underwriting standards loosened up enough not to where it was before. Correct. I never want to see that again. I never want to see, um, you know, you have a pulse, here's your loan. Correct. That, that was bad, bad business, but um, it needs to be loosened up a little more. Agreed. Yeah, and um, I, I, I think at, at the end of the day, too, you know, one of the big lessons we learned is you get you put people at a point, you know, basically if, if, if I can I can still make the payment, I still have my job, but if I've lost 50% of, of, of what my home is worth, you know, I paid three hundred, now it's worth 150 or I paid a million dollars for my building and now it's worth 500000 where's the incentive to keep up on that? Right, and in commercial... Um, one of the one of the things people don't realize about commercial loans is you have to basically check in with your lender every year. And when you check in, the lender has the right to say, 
When you bought the property, it was worth a million dollars. And let's say you put down 25%. So you put down 250,000. We gave you a loan for 750. But here we are, and now the property is only worth 500,000. So if you want us to continue uh, with the loan on, on your property, you need to walk into the bank and pay the loan down to the tune of hundreds of thousands of dollars to make sure that you still only have a loan for 75% loan to value. Gotcha. And it, it, it's an unrealistic expectation. You can't say to someone, I need you to bring in another 350000 today or we're going to call the note. Right. I mean, nobody can do that. So um, that, and we were dealing with that five years ago. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're hoping we don't have to deal with in the coming three years. Right. And, and I think that the banks are probably looking at this as a good opportunity to make some money. Because they can only make money if they lend out that money. So there's, right. there's, there's a good little bubble that I think they'll be able to come in and, and, and make work um, and make some money from that. Yep. So, um, we'll wrap it up with the question that we ask everybody. Um, if there was no limits, what would be your big, hairy, audacious goal for Carson City? Um, that's a great question. Um, if there was no limits, uh, well, I can say, first of all, I think Carson City is in great shape. And honestly, where we are today, if you had asked me 10 years ago, I wouldn't have believed that we would be making the improvements that we have just seen in the last couple of years. Right. With the animal shelter, the MAC, the, the corridor improvement pro, um, projects, not only downtown, everybody's really focused on downtown. Let's talk about North Carson Street, which is still suffering from the recession. Mm-hmm. Um, there's major improvements coming to South Carson and to Highway 50, and we need those corridors improved for safety reasons um, and to help people who don't have cars get along, get around a little easier. So I already think we're in great shape. I would say if there were no limits, the one thing I've heard people talk about here is some kind of um, amusement park where something almost like the Bonanza. Um, you know, Bonanza used to be up at Incline Village. It's still, I, I think it's a little touristy. They've kind of changed the dynamic of that facility. Correct. But I've had over the years different customers who had ideas, visions for something like that in Carson City. I would love to see that. Um, I'm a numbers person. I'm not a visionary necessarily. <laughs> so I don't know what it would be, but I'd love to see that type of attraction right. here. I think it'd be great to draw more kids and families here. Exactly. And something for the kids and families, a tour straw, would be, be a great thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I've, I've, I've heard the same thing of people wanting to bring that down and, and have that down in the valley, and I think that would be a good thing. Yeah, so maybe I won't give up hope. You never know. Perfect. Yeah, if, if anyone has commercial questions, they have a property they want to um, have you help them lease or sell, how do they get a hold of you? Um, they can call me. My number is 775-721-2980, or you can shoot me an email at carsonbroker at naialliance.com. Perfect. Andy, thanks for coming on the show. You bet. Thank you. you. Thanks again for listening to this episode of Carson Chatter. You can subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud apps to get new episodes as they are uploaded. Once you've subscribed, please leave a review as it makes it easier for people to find the podcast. Please engage with us via social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by simply searching for Carson Chatter. You can also email us at carsonchatterpodcast at gmail.com. See you again soon, and please don't forget to tell a friend about this podcast.